0: In the fall each year we all congregate The vows all gathered at the church of hellgate The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite birth, my God, a precious, Drunk and obnoxious, what well children faith Ain't nothing to find her in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday and last
1: Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm Herschel Gurley here as always with my co-host boss dog boss barking to people.
0: Welcome back everyone. We finally had something to cheer about little exciting game on Saturday. Gonna break that down and talk about JT's first start.
1: Yeah, I mean kind of a wild day, right? Like stuff started to leak out during the week that JT's going to be the guy. I mean, I guess it started to leak out prior to the scheduled Missouri game that he was probably going to be the guy. Um, so, a lot of excitement around that. And then also, I mean, I guess half the fan base probably didn't care because we know how they feel about it. But me and boss were fired up. Boys went black jerseys Saturday night. I mean, I was amped up, brother. And they looked electric when they came out to Sanford in the black jersey. Um, so let's start with, uh, let's start with JT. Uh, number one, I want to know, were you surprised with how he performed Saturday
0: night? I was not surprised with most of his performance. I was surprised. With, I mean, his performance was kind of dictated by the fact that we couldn't run the ball at all. So let's start with that. So In my opinion, I mean, if we run the ball for 80 yards, he doesn't throw for 400. I mean, let's be realistic. But yep. I mean, that's first 400 yard uh, passing performance for the dogs since the prayer of Jordan Hare by Murray. So, um, a big accomplishment. I mean, especially with your first start, you know, at Sanford, black jerseys, all that. But I mean, his accuracy was great in the first half, was really good in the third quarter. But you could even tell, like, toward the end of the game that it kind of started to waver a little bit as he got a little tired. The, tu- the two passes before the pass to Kyrus were probably his two best throws all game. They but sure then, were. But then his touchdown to Kyrus was not a very good throw. He probably underthrew him by about two yards. Kyrus made a great adjustment on the, on the play to, for the touchdown. He, I mean, Kyrus had, had him beat by, what, three yards? But overall, I mean, could you have asked for a better start? Uh, And but what I do also want to point out, he did have and this is not to bring up the past in Stetson, but he did have three batted balls. Just want to bring that up for all the fans who harped on that that train for God only knows how long every time Stetson tried it out there. It does happen to tall quarterbacks, too, guys. Just saying. But I mean, his his performance was great. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better performance. You know, especially with what we've seen the last, I mean, really, since since South Carolina last year at quarterback. It's the best performance that we've seen in forever.
1: I was, I'm not going to lie, I was surprised. Number one, because I didn't expect him in his first start back to, A, have the downfield accuracy that he had on the vertical throws, Maybe more importantly, I did not expect his pocket awareness to be what it was. I thought the thing that he did really, really well on Saturday night was use the pocket when it was intact and there and also move within the pocket to evade rushers. I mean, you brought it up. For me, the best play that he made all night was the first down play where he hits Kiaris in the corner of the end zone and Kiaris dropped it um, on the last drive or the game-winning drive. I mean, there was a straight jailbreak up the middle. He spins out, avoids another rusher, finds Kiaris, and then makes a great throw to the corner. I mean, I thought that was awesome. Um, I also thought you could see as the game went on, he was getting more and more comfortable which I think you would expect, but I just, man, I thought he got up to speed really quickly and really equipped himself well. And did it also feel like to you that it gave the receivers a little bit of juice too? They just looked like they had a little pop in their step. Um, I mean, look, I think it was a big deal that George was back. I don't think we can discount how big a deal it was that he wasn't there for the Kentucky and Florida games. So I think that's something we should talk about as we move forward in this, in this recap. But um, I mean, did, didn't, you think, I mean, dude, I thought the wide receivers looked juiced up.
0: I think you go back and I can't remember. It was the second drive and um, down three, nothing second drive, put on the first drive, get the ball back second drive. And it was a third down play and it wasn't, a big gain but it was a throw that we hadn't seen all season we were on the left hash he throws it to the right hash uh, to George just soft zone coverage but it was like like in yardage wise it was about a 25 yard throw across the field but like we only gained about 12 yards on the play but that type of throw hasn't happened all year from that point on in the first quarter the whole you're like you're right the whole wide receiver court was like oh it's like, okay. And it was like everything else kind of just pepped up from that point. And like I said earlier, I mean, we were just kind of banging our heads against the wall with the running game all day. I think just to try to keep them honest. And I mean, give Mississippi State credit. I mean, they should, I mean, we were in for eight yards. That's our lowest rushing total, I think, in the Kirby. No, I, yeah, in the Kirby Smart era. The previous uh, low was against Nickel State his first year. So, in my opinion, the receivers look great. Still need to get the tight ends more involved. I mean, with he did hit Fitzpatrick a couple of times, and Darnell, you know, was open once and he missed him. But his accuracy was ridiculous all game, which, I mean, we haven't seen since Jake's sophomore year because Jake was not accurate last year at all. The thing I liked about the game
1: Saturday night was I thought it gave some shine to, to coach Monkins' scheme. Um, I think we've seen all year that the game plan has had guys open and just really, really been, at least for me, a breath of fresh air from what we've seen throughout the Chaney and Coley era. Um, I just think, lot of multi-tiered uh routes so you're seeing stuff short middle and deep which I, i just feel like man there just wasn't a lot of um wasn't a lot of diversity to the the passing tree in the last three or four years so i thought that was great and i thought it was a validation of that right and um so i think that's positive the other thing that i liked was and this is something that hey man i maybe it's not that big a deal but I like it because I played quarterback in high school, and I always thought little things like this were a big deal. I always watch for it when I watch guys at the college and pro level. But didn't you think his play-action work was really good? Like, I think back on that play where he hit Jermaine on the out route, and he just kind of dropped a little teardrop over the defender. You know which play I'm talking about on the left side? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just a beautiful Whoa. little play fake and then pops it in there. I mean, just a, I mean, it was a quarterback play, man. It was just so
0: nice. Well, I think due to his lack of mobility right now, there's not going to be this true RPO anymore with Georgia because there's no threat of the run. So it's going to be a true play action at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, let's just go back to last year. I mean, the last two years, really. Jake's play action, it never really froze anybody. But I felt like JT's play action, I mean, it's the first time we've seen it, but I felt like his play action was you didn't know whether he was going to hand it off or – I mean, we only ran it a couple times, but you didn't really know if he was going to release it or if he was going to you know, hand it off to Zeus or if he was going to pull it back and, and throw it, which we haven't seen really all, all year from anybody. And really, we haven't seen it in the past two years since Jake was a freshman. So that was kind of a, a nice uh, a nice change of pace. The one thing I do want to go back to when you talked about the, uh, the pass to Kiris, the Kiris drop, that spin move. Did that spin move? I know it was a longer pass, but that spin move was very reminiscent to Stetson's spin move against Auburn. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that, and did you get nervous when he, cause you saw him limp afterwards? Did you see that? Well, so like,
1: I thought he looked a
0: little bit limpy, but I'm going to be honest with you. I
1: watched him a lot when we were at the Florida game on the sideline. And I think he's got a little natural gimp in his gait. Like, I, I think that's just kind of how he walks. Like I'm look, I'm sure he favors it a little bit cause he's coming off the surgery, but, um, yes i did see that when he came off and i did he took a couple shots which i think was good because i think it kind of got him in the frame and uh i think it had him ready to go um there's nothing i want to talk to you about just because look it's kind of the elephant in the room as it pertains to dog nation and that is our seeming inability as a fan base to enjoy anything and to reflexively look to bitch about something. So, I mean, JT throws for 400, four touchdowns, beautiful game. Jermaine Burton has a monster game. We'll talk about that. Uh, And the Georgia fan base's first instinct on social media and on all the message boards is to piss and moan about the fact that Kirby is the worst coach in the history of America because he didn't play JT sooner than this week. So I'm just gonna tee you up on that and you can go with it where you please and, and I'll add my thoughts after after you go.
0: I'm gonna have to pace for this one because it's just a this is my soapbox. So <laughs> Saturday night, I indulged a little too much. So the second half was kind of blurry. So I went back and watched the second half the next day. And then started to get on the message boards and Twitter and kind of see the reaction of everything. And there was no joy in the game whatsoever from the fan base at all. And I was just dumbfounded. Kirby was screwed from the beginning in this situation, in my opinion. He, sh- he
1: sure was. He sure was.
0: If JT came out and looked terrible, then it was, oh, he shouldn't have played him because he wasn't ready. He oh, came hold, out on, and looked-
1: hold on. Hold on. How about, how about beyond that? Kirby Smart can't recruit the quarterback position.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Mind you, he's a grad transfer, so. Right. (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. So, then if he comes out and looks like he did, he should have played him sooner. He should have played him sooner. He should have played him for Florida. How in 13 days is he magically healthy now? Right. And I have – this is not something I've read. This is not something that – I've gleaned from insight from anyone. This is strictly my opinion. My opinion is, is that in practice, and I don't have any contacts in Butts Mare, I am just a fan who reads the same crap that most of y'all do on message boards and Twitter, and yada, yada, yada. My opinion is, is that in practice, and I know Stetson had a bad, you know, six quarters from the second half of Alabama through Kentucky, but that in practice, jt is he is now the most talented quarterback in the room no questions asked but that in practice he gets a little loosey-goosey with the football and that kirby was hoping to get through florida with stetson with a win and then slowly transition to jt going for the rest of the season and then into the what would hopefully be the SST championship in a playoff. That didn't and that he did not think that JT was ready physically, mentally to take that step as the number 2 guy for the Florida game. So he did not get the number 2 reps. That is just strictly a theory, call it a conspiracy theory, call it whatever the hell you want. That is my opinion. And that when Stetson got hurt because JT did not get the reps because he was maybe not mentally there, physically there, whatever it is, Dwan came in and we all know what happened. If Stetson doesn't get hurt in that game, it's not like we weren't moving the ball. And I'm not saying we would have won, but it will sure show hell would have been a whole hell of a lot closer. Just saying. And then who knows how this conversation
1: is yeah, going. I, Yeah, so – Let's let, let's let me start with the Florida thing because I think this is interesting and we haven't really fleshed this out a bunch. So I, I do want to talk about that. So I think in his heart of hearts, Kirby believed that he could play Stetson and they could do just enough to beat Florida. I I wholeheartedly believe that. And look, man, I, I think there's a lot of revisionist history on this thing. Homie, he got lit up i'm talking old school espn countdown jacked up on that play to marcus the touchdown pass right like dude and that was dude he looked fine like he looked just fine operating in the offense and they're up 14 nothing and dude he just he wasn't the same he couldn't throw the football and you can't run an offense if your quarterback can't throw the football and so I would be very interested to see how that game turns out if Stetson's shoulder isn't juiced up and he actually gets to play the rest of the game healthy because I still think he would have done enough for them to win. I mean, they were essentially dead in the water after he went out. So that is what it is. That, that's one piece of that. Second piece of that is – I, I mean, he said it, I don't know how many times he can say it. JT was running the scout team. So, like, are you going to just pull the trigger and have the kid come in and play against Florida with no reps from practice? I think this is the other thing the fan base has all jumbled in their head. It's like they have unlimited practice time, and so JT gets equal work with the first team as the other quarterback. That's not, that's not how it works. Like – you rep with your first team guy. He gets hands down the most reps. Second team guy takes some reps and the dude third team guys, not taking reps. Like just not how it works. And I think to your point, I think the coaching staff was just evaluating. Like this is how he looks in practice. We all know everybody knows Kirby does not want the quarterback to turn the football over. Right? Like that's the end all be all with his evaluation of the quarterback position. So dude, if JT's flinging it and getting picked off left and right, he probably didn't feel comfortable with it. So look, man, I, I'm not mad about it one bit and I just, I get so frustrated with the fan base, like, constantly looking to be like, "Whoa, is me. Oh, we're just going to be bluer than dick about this whole thing. Like, I mean, guys, can, can we look on the bright side for once? Like, it just drives me insane. And the other thing is, and thank God he came out and this became public knowledge, but did you see the interview that JT's dad gave where with dog, I guess it was with dog nation where he came out and made comments about it and said, we are so grateful with how Georgia and the coaching staff handled JT. We're so thankful. Somebody's looking out for the health of our child and all these things. And like, Hey, homie, that's enough for me. Like if that's what, if that's what his parents are saying, then, hey, hey guys, maybe he wasn't ready. And, like, I think everybody jumped all over the JT postgame comment. It was a coach's decision. I wanted to play. Look, homie, if you ever played competitive athletics, of course you as the athlete were ready to play in your brain. I mean, homie, that's always how it is. Did you ever play on a team where you didn't think you should be starting and be playing regardless of how, never how capable you were physically? Like, that comment meant nothing to me like shocking that's what he said of course that's what he said thank god he said that if he he didn't say that i wouldn't thought he was the competitor that he
0: is right so and also that they didn't they didn't take the that's of course the beginning of the the quote and then he also talks about how much he's progressed since the beginning of the season how much stronger his knee has gotten they completely gloss out that part they they pick and choose the media is the georgia media is its own worst enemy when it comes to this because it's like they oh, yeah. feed into it, it's like clickbait, drives oh, me yeah. nuts. And oh, I yeah. don't know if you saw the article today, which I did not read the article, but the title was enough to make me want to vomit. I think it was on SDS. Um, I could be wrong, but oh, it, I saw, I saw it. it pop. I saw it. Yeah, Kirby saw Smart it. owes the Georgia fan base an apology. I was I saw yeah. the title and I just scrolled past. It. I was like, You gotta be kidding me. I, he doesn't I owe us it. jack crap, he doesn't owe us anything nah, dude. at all. Look, man.
1: Uh, yeah, that <laughs> I like laughed out loud. I mean, look, dude, that's 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 a website trying to title something to get some clicks. And hey, look, more power to him, whatever. But I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. Kirby don't owe nobody nothing. I was glad, man. You know, the one pull quote they got from him at the end was I think finally he just got irritated. He's like, Look, guys, I've been coaching football 25 years. Like I- I'm OK with the decisions that I'm making. And I was glad he said that, homie, because like that's real. I mean. They're paying him what they're paying him for a reason. And I feel real good about the state of the program with him at the, at the head. So like, uh, to your point, man, he was damned if he did damned if he didn't with, with Saturday night, like JT comes out and does what he does. Everybody pisses and moans. Oh my God. I can't believe Kirby smart didn't play him before Saturday night. If, if JT comes out and plays like shit, fan base goes, well, Kirby can't get anybody good in the quarterback room. So, I mean, like, it, did, it's just – it's so stupid. Why, why can't people just go, hey, man, this is awesome. We got a kid that looks great. Let's build off this. Let's touch, two on something that I do think is significant. I think we should talk about it. Number one, at full strength, that Mississippi sneeze at. They're having a good year. The third ranked in the SEC before Saturday night's game. All right, big-time asterisks on that, though. Homie, they didn't even have 53 scholarship players. Saturday night. So that did give me a little bit of pause. I mean, look, everybody says, oh, this is the best game Mississippi State's played all year. Michael Leach made comments to that effect post game. Proudest I've been of our team all year. But, brother, they, they weren't playing with nearly a full deck. Um, so that did worry me a little bit that it was that tight with them not playing with the full roster. But, uh, yeah, I mean, did you have thoughts on that? I just kind of thought, with them being worn down like that, we would kind of war of attrition kind of win out. That obviously didn't happen.
0: Well, I feel like the game really was war of attrition. If you kind of look at it, I mean, in the, in, in the, I mean, in the second half, we held them to seven points, and if you kind of see like our depth and talent just kind of took over. I mean, they were still getting that dinking and dunking, you know. But those Dinkin and Duncan that were 7 to 10 yards in the first half turned into 3 to 5 yards in the second half. And that was somewhat schematically because we moved the linebackers up and they weren't taking 3 to 5-step drops right off the bat. They were only taking 1-step drops. But it it was kind of a war of attrition with that. But what bothered me the most about it was that we didn't adjust in the first half at all. And that seems to kind of be the theme this year is that all of our adjustments – have always been in the second half. And it's like, we can make in in half adjustments. They don't have to wait till halftime to make an adjustment with that. Just tell your linebackers, hey, don't take three-step drops. Take a step drop. You know? Because, I mean, every single play in the first half felt like they got eight yards. Every single one. But with Mississippi State only having, I think they had 49 scholarship players. Realistically, if I think we had we dropped – scene dropped a pick six. Yeah. Um, we had – you know, I think there was another drive where we probably would have scored if there weren't for three just ridiculous penalties. But that was – and that was at the – after we were already up by seven. It would have made it a more comfortable win. It still wouldn't have been an impressive win because it was still tighter than I thought it should have been. But it would have been a more comfortable win. But, I mean, I think with – 49 kids, you know, Mike Leach was like, hey, I'm going to throw caution to the wind. And I mean, honestly, this kid, that kid, they have a quarterback. I mean, Costello's problem all year. You know I mean? I love Leach. I've been not shy about that all year. I've watched Mississippi State every game. Costello's problem is, is that he doesn't take what the defense gives him. He tries to force stuff into coverages and he turns the ball over too much. Since Will Rogers has been quarterback, he has just – He's taking what the defense gives him. If it's only a five yard gain, he's gonna take a five yard gain. He doesn't try. I mean, he. De- I mean, now granted, he only averaged I think six yards per attempt, which isn't that great for having fifty one attempts or whatever it was he had something ridiculous like that. But I mean, it was effective. But I, Wait, can I, we, can I, we, I thought their game plan was good. Can we can we talk about can we talk about TK?
1: You think TK was pulling the? Uh... The seventy-two dolphins on Saturday night and popping bottles after Jermaine didn't didn't hit their the receiving number.
0: I don't know. T, I think TK honestly. Well, let. let <laughs> I don't know if you remember the text messages that we used to go back and forth back then because we're going back into old school like flip phone text messages. Got to hit the seven to you know three times to get to an R text messages. Oh yeah, but, that's my jam. So yeah, you were all about that, but. We, we had a love-hate relationship with TK, both of us.
1: You know, it's funny, but, man. Um, I, I didn't even really think about it. I guess it's one of those things where you just get so caught up in the moment. Two of two of what? The top ten receiving games in Georgia history? Had that huge game against yeah. Kentucky and then had the, the big game against Michigan State.
0: Yep. Oh, the Michigan State game. Ugh. Let's, not talk, let's not talk about that. Well, I mean, I, I
1: think we should, we should talk about Jermaine. I mean, big-time game. Big-time game. And I, I thought – I mean, A, it's the best he's looked, obviously, but I just liked how he was from an aggressiveness standpoint. I thought maybe the best play he made all night was the one where it was the one-on-one, and it was pretty much a 50-50 ball. JT kind of shorted it a little bit, and he went up and high-pointed it and just took it away from the defender. Um, yeah. I mean, those are the type of plays I feel like our receiving core hasn't been making, and that's what I meant earlier about it just seemed like the receiving core had a little more juice to them. And maybe it's because they were like, look, we're going to get some opportunities tonight. Let's go eat. And, uh, dude, I mean, d- how about Demetrius had a big game? Best game of his Georgia career, right? Most receptions he's had as a dog. So I'd love seeing that. Um, I-, I don't know, man. I-, I think it was a lot of things to be excited about. And, I mean, I think as, as you know and as has been evidenced by the things I say on this air, I'm an optimist, homie, so I'm always going to look for the positives. And I thought there was a lot of stuff to be happy about Saturday night. And at this point in the season, brother, I mean, look, we're not going to Atlanta. So I, what else are we doing if not looking for the positives and things at this point, right? So I was happy with a lot of the stuff that went on Saturday night. I mean, look, there's plenty of stuff that you can complain about. Another so-so performance from the defense. But I did think once we got more aggressive with the scheme, they looked good. I thought Adam Anderson flashed some more. I think he's making a case where he needs to start playing some more brother, like more consistently. He just is too good of an athlete not to be out there
0: a lot. Honestly, I don't understand the – and and honestly, this comes from a disappointment perspective for me because from – I expected a big jump from last year to this year for Nolan Smith. And I just – he has not – he's been non-existent. Like I see him – I just don't see him. He's just there. Like he just kind of, I don't see him. He's just not making plays. And I love the kid. I, you know, I love his, his attitude. I love his enthusiasm. I love his energy, but I just, he's just, I just don't see it this year. I, I thought he flashed so much more last year as a freshman than he has this year. And I feel like that some of those, some of Nolan Smith, uh, Nolan's snaps need to go to Adam Anderson. Cause every time Anderson's on the field, I, he's making plays. Yeah. And I almost feel like, well, did I almost feel like because he made some comments, he might have gotten in the doghouse. And that's why we didn't see him very much for a little bit. Um, because, you know, he got on Twitter and he didn't really run his mouth. But, you know, you know how Kirby is when you, you just keep your mouth shut. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's what happened. That's just that's, again, an opinion thing. But Let's get – I mean, get him on the field. I mean, uh, the one thing that worries me about Anderson is because of his build, he he does not hold up very well against the run. He's very Jarvis Jones-esque against the run. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I just feel like in
1: 2020 SEC – it's not your mama's SEC, right? Like, who's running the football? I mean – Who's running the football? Exactly. We – we're the team. I almost think that's been one of the shortfalls of us schematically. Like, dude, we're, we're built to stop the run, and that's great, right? But who's running the football? I mean, I feel like that's one of those things you just kind of you kind of live with that. You pick your battle, and like, look, we're going to stop the pass. And if somebody beats us running for 400 yards, so be it. I mean, I feel like the paradigm on that's kind of shifted, right? It used to be the flip of that. We're going to stop the run, and you got to beat us through the air. And I think everybody would live with that. That ain't the world we live in anymore, brother. So I don't know, man. Something's got to shift on that between now and next season because – and look, we talked about this off-air, but I do want to talk about this with you. I talked about it a little bit with Chris in the preview episode last week. But I know the story of the 2020 season for the fan base is Georgia's quarterback play and the second straight year of a very mediocre offense, right? For me, that has not been the story at all. For me, the story has been our so-called dominant defense that we're going to hang our helmet on all season long in the two biggest games of the season almost has half a hundred hung on them both times. I mean, is that not the story? Is that is that not what we should be talking about when we talk about the 2020 Georgia football team is that, in the two biggest games of the year, the defense essentially came out and laid a
0: big fat egg. Am I wrong in thinking that? You're absolutely correct. And I think it kind of goes back to the comment that you just made that our defense is built to stop the run. And, and that's not the college football world we live in anymore. And think about how quickly that changed. That changed in a season and a half. Yep. That changed from the middle of last year, LSU, to this season. Yep. That didn't start with LSU last year. That changed middle of like what week four or five with LSU last year. Cause LSU at the beginning of the year, everybody was like, Oh wow, this looks great. But nobody knew if they were going to be able to sustain it all year. Then when they could sustain, it was like, Oh, you know, it's a copycat league. Oh, well, we're, we're going to mimic this. And then everybody started doing it. And it's like, now that's, I mean, that's what everybody wants. And all of a sudden it's like a light switch flipped. And I mean, even teams that have good running games, it's you pass to run, not run to pass. Like it's exact opposite of everything that we've known for our entire lives for football. Yep. It's always been run. You run to set up the pass. That's not how it is anymore. And when you, when you build a team to, you know, from, you know, Kirby always built the team from the back and his defensive backs forward. And then for the last couple of recruiting classes, he's always gotten good defensive backs, but he's really focused on the front seven. To for that because he's happy with his defensive backs. He just wants to okay, this guy's leaving. I want to fill in for this guy. You know, kind of like plug in. And it's just it hasn't been enough because the, the it changed so quickly. And everybody's like, you got to adapt. You got to adapt. But how many teams have really adapted? Not many. How many teams have adapted? Alabama? I mean, dude, Alabama. Yeah, but but
1: has their defense adapted though? I mean, look, Mississippi, eh. old Miss dropped. Drop points on them all night, right? Like, I don't think I don't think Alabama's defense is adapted to a legitimate passing attack. I mean, how many points did LSU put up on them last year? How many points did Auburn put up on them last
0: year? Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I just well, to be fair, Auburn had two pick sixes, so I mean that wasn't just their offense. So, um, but I mean, fair point. I mean, they still put up thirty five. Um, or 30 something, um, even without the two pick sixes, like, like for me, man, I would just get real lean
1: in your back seven or eight, right? Like I would want a lot of speed and a lot of shiftiness in all of my defensive backs. And dude, I I think you just got to be of the frame of mind. We got to have five defensive backs that can play, right? Like a lot, like we got to be able to play nickel pretty much primarily and have five dudes in the nickel formation, right? Because that's what the offenses are doing now. I mean, even a guy like Mark Webb, and I'm not trying to be hard on Mark Webb. I like Mark Webb, he's been loyal to the program. Dude, Mark Webb looks like he's on skates in pass coverage. Like it's every week, man. Like he 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 got burnt a bunch against Florida.
0: He got burnt Saturday night. Like and well, he's playing out of position, in my opinion. And honestly, let's be fair. Tyreek is too. Tyreek is not. In the nickel defense, Tyreek is not a star. He's just not. At this point in time in his career, Tyreek, I thought Tyreek was going to be played, and I don't mean a star like a great player. I mean play the star position in our defense. So but hold, up, hold, out hold up. I got a point on that though.
1: Don't you think Kirby's star position is built as a run first, pass, second guy? I mean, it, it is, we, we, it, it was, it, it, it is. And it's, it needs to change. Yes. That that's my premise. I guess is what I'm saying is that yeah, the guys that we are staffing in those positions, they're not the body type and makeup that you have to be in today's game. Like you got to have guys that can pass cover that's first and then stop the run. But Dude, if you can't, if you are playing the star and you can't follow back and coverage on the wheel, you're you're not in the right position. I mean, that's just how it is. That's the world we live in.
0: I mean, I mean, part of it was health breakdown. I mean, health this year. But I mean, Saturday was the first time that we played realistically played with three true corners on the field at one time. We had DJ oh, Daniel. So DJ was uh, back. I did think that Campbell. Was I thought he had a and good game. on the field at the same time. That's the first yeah. time all year we've had those three on the field at the same time because normally we wouldn't play that. I mean, realistically, most of the year we've been playing with two cornerbacks and three safeties on the field because whoever we've had at the star position is really another safety, uh, you yeah. know. And it's just with the way the game has changed, that just it doesn't work, unfortunately. I mean, it's just – and I think if you look at our recruiting class this year and the guys we started to recruit – you know, in that position, I think Kirby's noticed that. That's what another thing I love about the the hate Kirby crowd. that Kirby doesn't adapt. Kirby's adapted people. And it yeah. just it just it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I, th- so, I think he's
1: shifting. But, that's, I, another, I, that's another I, soapbox. I think there's been a lot of evolution in what he's done, not just from a recruiting perspective. I think even the Munken thing, man, that that's that's way outside of his comfort zone to to run those type of schemes and to do what they did Saturday night. Um, I'm interested to see what it's going to continue to progress like, because look, man, it's, there's going to be no real gauge. I don't think till the, till the bowl game, South Carolina, capital S stinks Vanderbilt. I mean, look, I know they played all right against Florida during the sleepy noon start on Saturday, but they also capital S stink. Like there's going to be no real gauge probably unless we make up the Mizzou game, which I don't know, is looking maybe like that's not going to happen. Um, because I think they're at least somewhat of a test um, to kind of see the lineup and see what, what's going on. But it may be until the bowl game before we see, like, okay, what does this look like? And, like, is this something that's going to be sustainable? But I think it's a monster story if JT establishes himself as the entrance starter and is the 2021 starting quarterback and everybody in their mama knows it. And Brock Vandegrift can just come in and really – just apprentice right i think that's a really really big deal so i hope that that's that's what goes out but uh well what else you got brother you got
0: anything else this week or you feel pretty good about everything Uh, i got one other thing i want to talk about so jt played great on saturday but there's another thing that i saw the fans that you need to calm down just a little bit there is already talk people freaking out that if he goes nuts the next four games in the bowl game that he might turn pro oh stop okay it. it's been it's one game calm down just a little bit i mean oh. i love this performance but it's it's one game i <laughs> let no ch- calm down just a little bit no I chance to anoint him the next you know savior there's no I, chance I mean, no chance he's going pro. i i there would have to be something catastrophic. I mean, I would think the whole coaching staff would have to get fired or we'd have to get caught up in some scandal or something for that to happen.
1: But – Homie, there's, there's no chance he's going pro. No uh,
0: chance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for, for after a win, the, the, the way the you – know, I mean, like we talked about the fan base, but I mean, the, that when that started coming up, it was just like, oh, my God, really? Where did, where did this come from? And, like, you know, people hear a rumor and they just run with it. And it's just, like, all over the place.
1: But I will say thing.
0: this. box, but the- I will
1: say this about him. I've said this multiple times on the podcast before. But if you are a Georgia fan and you have not read Trevor Moad's book, "It Takes What It Takes," you need to go and read it. If for no other reason, to read the chapter that he has on JT Daniels when he worked with him in high school, I think it should make you fired up as a dogs fan for what we now have at the quarterback position, not just from a physical talent perspective, but the type of kids you're going to have in the film room type of kids you're going to have from a leadership perspective. Um, love that he came on the press conference and said, I love the state of Georgia. Fantastic. All about that. Um, I just think it's a really good fit and I hope he stays healthy and I hope he continues to progress. Cause I think it could be a really, really beautiful marriage between the left coast in the East Coast. So, I'm, I'm here for it, brother. Well, um, we'll get a preview episode up here shortly. I guess maybe in a couple days. And, um, yeah, man. Everybody get ready for Turkey Day. I'm going to eat my face off. Get myself ready. How weird is yep. it that there's, that there's no Georgia-Georgia Tech game this weekend?
0: Man, I, I'm having a hard time with it, to be honest. Like, you know, I know that – not that Georgia Tech's very good, but – I almost hope – not that I want us to collapse at the end of the season, but I would almost hope that Georgia Tech finds a way to get into a you know, better bowl and that we could find a way to have a Georgia-Georgia Tech bowl at the end of the season just just for the rivalry aspect of it because this just feels weird. This it, just doesn't feel right. And we're also not even, playing them in basketball. Yeah, it just doesn't even but feel like I don't understand. I don't even feel like Thanksgiving because they're not playing. Like It just feels weird, man. This has
1: been a weird year. I'm ready for know, this year to be over.
0: I know it would – I know it would be a noon kick and it'd be a, you know, a probably a, you know, a boring game, but it just, it doesn't feel right when you don't play Georgia Tech. It just, it just, it's not a season. It just, it feels it's like everything else this year it just feels weird. So yeah. just, yeah, get us to 2021 and hope for things to somewhat go back to normal. But no, you know, everybody just calm down, relax, enjoy the rest of the season. Cause like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we weren't even supposed to have this year. So any football is good football, in my opinion, win or lose.
1: Same, brother. Well, we got uh, we got another one against South Carolina this weekend. I'm gonna be in the house with two of my kids and Uncle Chris. Uh, I hope they blow the doors off the chickens. Yeah, yeah. that's where I'm at.
0: The fighting, but the fighting Bobos, the fighting Bobos. That's, I feel so it, bad, brother. Mike.
1: Well, we'll holler at y'all later in the week on the on the South Carolina game. And in the meantime, go dogs, sick them, go dogs. Hey, George is better now. <laughs>